It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. All right. You found the Creative Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn innovative ideas to structure your real estate transactions. From house hacking to fix and flips, tax deeds to private lending, hey, you'll even learn how to syndicate large commercial multifamily communities. On this podcast, I'll share with you the knowledge you need to be able to utilize strategies like lease options, subject to owner finance, and partnering with the right people to get deals done and make some money. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. I've actually done all of the above, and through this podcast, I'll show you how. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. If you like this content, please stop by iTunes and leave a five-star rating. That way, the podcast can attract more great guests that you can pick up nuggets from. Today, I'm joined with Doug Fullaway. Good morning. Hi, Doug. So we're going to jump into some interesting topics around uh, assisted living in a moment, but why don't you give us the backstory on how you got into real estate in the first place and, and just what, what's the whole story there? So for many years, I was in the software business, first in the electronic design world, and then I moved into software in the senior living market space because a friend of mine called and said, there's this small company, it's about to die, and <laughs> I'm thinking about buying it, and I think we could fix it, and, and I said, well, what do they do? And he said, well, they do assisted living, and that was in 2002. I, I honestly didn't know what assisted living was in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, but I joined my friend, and we, we joined that company, uh, and, and I eventually became the CEO of that company over the next 10 years. We grew it to be the largest provider of software for assisted living in the United States. We had thousands and thousands of sites using our software. Interesting. And I, I, I will tell you, I developed a real passion about the senior living space. And about six or seven years in, I was making a sales call on a very nice lady who had a, a property that was not making money. She was in the late 80s, and she said, I really need help selling this. And, and, and I dug in, and I actually became the sponsor and put the deal together, and, and I feel really good about what happened there from the point of view of in this small town, we take care of lots of people. I've been able to pay over a million and a half dollars in dividends back to our investors, and I really got into that. In two years ago, I really left the software business where I was selling 100% of my time to assisted living, memory care, independent living companies Mm -hmm. in order to help the great operators raise the money they need to grow their senior living business. Okay. That makes sense. So did you, uh, so have you yourself actually bought any senior living? Absolutely. I started, I started about 10 years ago. Um, I did one in a small town in Eastern Oregon, Madras. Nobody's ever heard of it. The only thing that's noteworthy about Madras, Oregon is the baseball player, Jacoby Ellsworth, grew up there. I mean, that's it. The population is about 15,000. It's a very small town. And then I was a part of a group that bought another one in Tacoma, Washington. And I, so I've, I've continued to do those and you know, be an investor in these communities. I think that, first of all, it's helpful to understand that it's a, you know, it's a very, very large market. Uh, it's not as big as multifamily, obviously. For example, multifamily will start something around 350,000 units this year. Mm-hmm. or in the last year. And in the senior living market, that number is more like 50,000. 
So when you say units, said, is that doors or, or facilities? That's really doors. Okay. Uh, um, that, that's doors. And, and the average size is about a hundred doors to a community. So, you know, it's, it, it's really easy to translate back and forth, but you know, what's the best way to raise money? I, I think there are lots of ways. I mean, first of all, the biggest source of money in the industry are the public REITs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's healthcare properties and Ventos and, and so on. And, you know, they're all in the 25 to 30 billion in size. Right. So, wow. so that, that's one source. There are many private REITs out there uh, that do that. So, you know, being a small firm, uh, the way we raise the money is we go to high net worth individuals. And, and the, the story is actually very simple. Um, you know, if you look at all the different kinds of real estate that you can invest in, commercial, storage, multifamily, and so on, um, the, the National Council of Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries actually shows data that says the sector that has the best returns over a 15-year time frame or 10 years is senior living, mm-hmm. um, which most people don't know. It's, it's not widely broadcast or published. But if you go to the NIC, the nationalinvestmentcenter.org website, you can, you can see that data, and it's always updated. And what it shows you is, you know, that used to be a 15-year time frame was 14.7% for senior living compared to commercial that was about 11. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, look, senior living has a better potential return than any other kind of real estate. Mm-hmm. But it's not well understood. Um, and and this, the second point is really simple. Look, um, you know, there aren't too many investments you can make that in real estate that are actually doing really good thing for people. I mean, the, the average resident assisted living is an 87-year-old lady. And, you know, she was living at home. She, her friends were dying. She wasn't taking mm-hmm. her medications. She was tired of cooking. Her social life had kind of gone to zero. And when they move in, you, you know, they're very happy. Something like 95% when surveyed say, I should have moved in a lot sooner. This is a great place. And their health gets better and their life gets better. So, you know, it's not just about making a, a, a 17 or 18% return. It's about doing something really good for people. Yeah. So it's and the only really business is, I've been where I get a big hug when I show up. <laughs> there really is a lot of ways to invest with senior living, with assisted living. So my question to you is when you're talking about um, it being around 11% return for multifamily, but 14% return for assisted living, does that mean that you're running the management of the assisted living as well as owning the real estate or is it one or the other? Great question. First, let's be careful about the numbers. I don't want to overstate things here. Those numbers fluctuate up and down. I think that the senior living space has dropped to, to the 12% range and the others have dropped similarly. Mm. So, so that's why I suggest seeing the Nick website to be up to date. But yeah, there are lots of different ways to invest. You know, the first thing is people come to me and say, well, I really want to invest. And I say, well, do you want to be liquid? Well, yeah. Well, then you should go buy a basket of the public REITs because you're going to make over a long haul around 10%. Hmm. And, and you, you, therefore, you can just own really almost like a stock. I mean, you know, you're, you're liquid every day. The, mm-hmm. the second way is really to, to invest your money through a, a pool of some kind of fund that's been set up. And there are a number of them out there. And in that case, you are owning the property, but you're not operating it. You're just a passive investor. Mm-hmm. It's a great way for a lot of people to do it. I mean, I have lots of my friends I put into that. You know, the next step is you actually become part of 
you know, the, the ownership group. And it's very nice. I mean, if, if you've got fifty to $100,000 to put in, uh, there are groups out there who would love to have you join the specific LLC that was set up to own the property mm-hmm. and not operate. You hire somebody to operate. Very often, the people who do that deal are the operators, but they set up a separate company in order to make it, you know, they, they limit the legal liability across a chain of them. Right. So right. You, you can get as involved as you want. I mean, I certainly am advising two groups who, you know, they're the owner operator themselves. You know, they've been operating for a while and they need to grow their business in a different way. So you, you kind of have a, a nice menu. Would you say the highest returns within the senior living space is by owning both the real estate and the operation of the business? I would say the best way to assure that you get a great return and you reduce your risk is to first understand the operator. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the structure isn't quite as important as knowing you have absolutely somebody. I mean, the typical multifamily housing project, you know, if there's a hundred doors is going to have five or six employees on site. Right. The typical assisted living community for 100 doors is going to have 55 to 60 employees. Wow. And, and I think you can see it's a significantly different business because you're really running a restaurant, a health clinic, a cruise ship, and a piece of real estate all at the same time. So yeah. it, it's complex. It's not, that, it's not hard. It's not, you know, it isn't like you're, you, you have to be a genius. It's just there's a lot of moving parts. So the key is always the operator. And you'll find that most sophisticated operators are owner operators. That is, they might own 10 or 15% of it, um, of the property. They'll own 100% of the operating company itself. Mm-hmm. And, and they will want partners who will buy the other 80 or 90% of the property. And, and that's mm-hmm. a really great way to be invested here. Great. So can you tell us, we, we talked before this interview a little bit about the the, some risks to people who are raising money uh, around demographics. Can you, can you expand on that yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I think that one of the things you know, any investor needs to do is make sure when they're looking at an investment that they're not caught up in the hype that exists. And the story is very simple. It's like, oh my goodness, everybody's aging and the demographics are going to absolutely fill up this building and this is a great investment. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but kind of a little misleading. You know, if, if you look at the current demand, it's not driven by the boomers yet. Remember I said earlier, the average resident is 87 years old. Mm. Well, the boomers aren't 87 yet. That, that's 10 years out. But that's not to say there isn't current demand. I mean, you know, it's, it's in the, depending on who you listen to, between 40 and 60,000 a year units that are needed. Now, okay. the way they get to the 60,000 is they take a longer time frame. They take 10 or 15 years and say, well, what's the average? Okay. Well, that's see. true, but there's a curve in the hockey stick coming. Yeah. It's about four or five years out, Yeah. which means it's beginning to be a really good time to be invested before the curve hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but the really important thing is to look at the micro market. That is, I really don't care about Houston, Texas. I care about where this particular property is and what's within three, five, and seven miles, or more importantly, a 20-minute drive. Mm-hmm. Um, b- because you know there was a lot of data published a few years ago about how there was overbuilding in Houston. 
and gee, the, the absorption rate wasn't filling things up. And yet I knew an operator who opened a brand new building right in the middle of that, quote, mess, who was cash flow positive in 120 days. Hmm. And when I asked him how he did it, he said, well, I'm in a part of Houston that's not well served. All the buildings that are here are older. And nobody is offering the kind of amenities that I'm offering at the price I'm offering. So, you know, you kind of could ignore the national trends and the, even the city trends. Get right down to the specifics of the location and the services and how they compare with those right nearby. So are, you'll be safe. So when you say look at the, the, you know, kind of the micro market, if you will, are you looking at just demographics of that? Like, is there a way to find out how many aging people there are there? Or is it more he's looking at the buildings and, and seeing there's no, a lot of old really, buildings? You really need to look at the demand. And there are, you know, it, first it's the, the, whoever's bringing you a project to invest in um, will likely have that data. And there are national services available. You know, you could buy a survey that showed all the senior data, every single building, the rates they were charging, the size of the rooms for all of South Florida for a year for $2,000. Hmm. So it's not that hard to get the data. And I would suggest an investor not spend any money to start with. Start by simply going to the Census Data Bureau. Mm -hmm. You know, so look at that census data and you'll see you can look at those over. And I tend to look at those over 75. Um, because while there's a market for the 55 to 75, it's, it's not as, it's, it's more like multifamily and understanding it. Mm -hmm. When you get above 75, you start to need health services. So you can go look at that data and you want to make sure that there's plenty of demand and, and you can look at the income data also to make sure that one of the real surprising things is the value of the homes. Mm -hmm. And the income of the daughters and sons, because they tend to live in the same area. Mm. If, if those are high, you're, you're almost assured it's going to be safe. Um, and you want to make sure that there's plenty of room in there. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get to, actually. That's, that's great advice. I wanted to touch a little bit more on when you were talking about raising the funds. You said that when you're doing so, you, you look for high net worth individuals. Um, but I didn't, we didn't really talk about how you find those high net worth individuals, uh -oh, yeah. where, where you're going, how you're marketing to them. Um, and then uh, as a second step to that, I was curious, um, what kind of fund are you putting together for this? So wh where do we find these people? You know, in a way they, they, they they're starting to find us. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. I certainly last summer was struggling with that question myself. It's like, where am I going to find these people? And I know some, and they would introduce me to others, mm -hmm. but it wasn't going very fast. And then somebody came to my website and found the book that I'd written and read it and, and called me up and said, Hey, I got all these investors. And I said, well, how do you have all these investors? I mean, what, what do you mean? Well, he'd been a partner at McKinsey. He'd mm. been the acquisition manager for Cisco. He'd been in a venture capital firm and taken, you know, he bought eight or nine companies and funded 25. So he knew a lot of CEOs in the high tech world. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, he had a list of them. So, so it was sort of, the, but he found me and, and, and I could show him projects and he could introduce me to those. Now there's, there are other ways to do that. I mean, certainly one can acquire lists and, I will tell you that, you know, I, I, 
I've seen one recently that, that we're starting to use where there are 130 people researching full time to build their database. And, you know, it, it, it's not inexpensive, but certainly you can get <laughs> access to thousands and thousands of, you know, they'll tell you there are 230,000 people in the world who are really very high net worth, and they will tell you that they have just over 150,000 in their database. Hmm. So, you know, there are grades of that, you know, sort of cheap and small, and, and, and this one has attributes in it for lots of things. What are they already invested in? Who are their friends? I mean, there are lots of avenues you can look at to figure out how to reach them. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously having having your book was was one of the things that helped you to get where you are having a track record having a website and definitely having that book where somebody took the time to read it uh, definitely helped what if what if you didn't have that stuff and you wanted to be able to raise money what would maybe be the first step for somebody getting involved in what you're doing for them to start raising so, money. So, so one of the things that, that you might want to know about is, you know, there's, there's a firm out there, there's a company out there that helps people set up small business real estate. And, and uh, you know, I, I think if you go look for them, you'll find them and you can start reading their website and getting in touch and you can learn a lot on your own without spending very much money. You know, I, I decided some time ago that I wouldn't have any kind of, track record as running a fund and because of it mm-hmm. people would probably ignore me mm-hmm. okay and, and uh, so i said well i'll go do direct deals with people i'll be a syndicator if you will and pretty soon especially the investors who have between 10 and 50 million net worth mm-hmm. said you know i really i love this deal but i really don't want to put a million dollars in it Doug, why, why don't you let me put $2 million in a fund and spread me across nine or ten investments? Mm. So, so that indeed wow. is, you know, we're, we're right now private placement memos in my hand for final review and the deck is ready and I got a team ready. I went and found some other people. You know, how am I going to be credible as an asset manager? My goodness, Doug, you're a software guy. Mm-hmm. So right, okay. I found somebody who was for many years, an asset manager for Samsell, who managed oh, wow. hundreds of assets and who indeed, you know, managed in there several hundred senior living communities. So, and he's all excited because he would like to go back to this market segment. You know, so part of this is finding the right team so that people go, okay, I can be comfortable if I put my money in there, it's going to mm-hmm. be well managed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The most important, obviously, part of running these syndications is the management team. Absolutely. Doug, Doug Followay, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. We're running out of time. So I, what I'm going to do is, listeners, I'm going to give you Doug's contact info right down. Just scroll down right now, and his contact will be in the show notes. Thank you again. Until next time, everybody, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.